0: Hey guys, this is Josh. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Movement Youth. For now, let's head to this week's message at Collective, which is every Wednesday night at six forty-five. Guys, this is this is a different kind of Wednesday night because we didn't just come here after like a regular Sunday at church. You're like, hey, I've seen you. You know, just saw you Sunday Life Groups and all that stuff. Uh, We just got done, and maybe you weren't there personally, but most of us, I would say, in the room just got done with an incredible weekend where we encountered God in a powerful way. So make some noise if you were at D-Now 2020. Yeah. And, And maybe you were there. Maybe you just heard about it. Um, but the word is that a lot of people got saved, a lot of people got baptized, that God changed a lot of people's lives, and some people uh, you know, got sin out of their lives, some people needed to confess some things, some people had to call some friends and talk through some issues that uh, they didn't know they were going to talk to them about until the weekend had really gotten started, but I just loved um, that God worked on everybody, really, wherever they were at, whether they were uh, not a believer and their very first step was trusting Jesus, or whether they'd been a Christian for a long time and that next step for them was uh, to get on the phone in the middle of the service and say, hey, I'm so sorry, but I've never told you about Jesus, and that's wrong, I know that I should have. So um, I would say, I I don't use this word a lot, but I would say that we saw miracles happen over this last weekend. And here's, I actually, like, Googled the the word miracle, because I was like, I don't know, is that word, like, used correctly? Because a lot of times you think miracle, you're like, poof, wow, you know, splitting the Red Sea, you know, like we talk about in the Old Testament, or Jesus performed miracles, but I was like, what is a a miracle? And this is the definition that I found. An extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a a supernatural cause, such as uh, an effect, such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. What happened at D-NOW was a work of God. Could I get an amen? It was a work of God. And without God intervening in a supernatural way, without God changing hearts, without God speaking through his Holy Spirit to people and convicting them of sin, convicting them of their need for a savior, uh, they would still be on their way uh, to an eternity without God, an eternity separated from God. So I don't know what else to call that other than a miracle, other than God's interceding, interventing, uh, and, 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 and changing lives in, in what is nothing less than miraculous. So we had 13 people get baptized this last weekend. And yeah, yeah. Your hands are gonna be like sore by the end of this week, this night. I'm sorry. There's just a lot, of, lot to clap for, a lot to be excited for. And then there's four more people getting baptized tonight. Four more people getting baptized tonight. Yeah. And we're gonna do that at the end of the service, right out here, um, and we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna, we're gonna make as big of a show as we can, but not because we're like, wow, that person is so amazing, but because God is so amazing. And what he did transforming people's lives is amazing and is nothing less uh, than something that should be celebrated. So the question I have for us tonight, and the thing that I really want us to talk about tonight is this, what do you do after a miracle? What do you do after you've witnessed a miracle? God has done a miracle in your life, um you've, you've been party to it in some way or some form, whether God used you to, to, to share Jesus with somebody and they accepted Christ, whether you got on the phone and you needed to uh, get some sin out of your life, you need to confess something, you need to apologize to a friend. I just saw so many people stepping out of the service on Saturday night, like, I, I gotta call somebody, and then they're just punching in the phone number right away. And I just love that you guys are so ready to be obedient and, and not go, well, maybe I'll call them later. Um, but, but what do you do after a miracle, well, obviously, you come to, to Collective and you clap about it a lot. Like, you get excited and we celebrate it, right? That That's obvious. But what do you do in your personal life? What do you do as a group of people when God has clearly changed us, when we're clearly not the same people that we were on the other side of this weekend, even a year ago, when God has transformed us into powerful, what do you do on the other side of a miracle? Turn to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. We're going to we we're gonna answer this question. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture Um and, and I don't want us to take too much time. I, I want us to get to, like, I love God's word. I love God's word. And what I was telling you guys Sunday morning is that if you had a great experience at D-NOW, if you're like, wow, I just love Jesus in such a new way. This is so, oh, this is amazing. It, a lot of times people will look back and go, well, that was just an emotional high. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that's a thing. I think that God can change your heart through a weekend where you're saturated in his word through preaching. We had so much of God's word. We had preached three sermons, uh, three small group sessions, devotionals, prayer sessions, like, like you were just soaked in the Bible. And I think some of you are like, wow, I was so close to God over that weekend. I wonder how that happened. It's because you were reading so much about his word, and he was speaking to you through that. Um, but I, I love God's word, and I love what we're about to do. But I want to save time, and we're going to move quickly because we've got some baptisms at the end of the service. And I don't, I don't want us to uh, you know, be rushing through that. Um, But I actually read the first part of this to you guys at D now. The very first part of this chapter. It's amazing because the the people of Israel, they've been uh, rescued by God. They've been set free from slavery in Egypt and God has done all these miracles to get them out of slavery and and he, he split the Red Sea and all these amazing things happen and then then they, they sinned, and then they followed some other gods for a period of time, and they were wandering in the wilderness for forty years as part of god's punishment for that and so God said, "Hey, none of this generation that that worshiped other gods that You know, fell away to other gods, none of that generation is going to go into the promised land that you've been looking forward to for generations and generations and generations. That's modern day Israel. None of them were going to get to go, not even Moses. And Moses was like the leader. He was like the most spiritual guy in the group. Like how many of you guys, you know, there was one guy in your small group at D-Now that was like way more spiritual than everybody. Like he brought his Bible and his Bible was like barely, like, holding together because he read it so much and he had like scribble notes or she had like, like, like cute little notes written in it and her, she had a notebook. Like she, her notebook, she had like 12 pages on every single sermon of notes. You're like, how did you, did you just transcribe everything that the preacher said? How did you even do that? Um, even Moses, the spiritual leader for the people of Israel, doesn't get to go into the promised land. But now a whole generation has passed, and Joshua and, and Caleb, the other guy, they were the only ones who were part of that generation. Now they're going into the promised land with these, this next crew of people. And they're this is literally what they've been waiting for their whole lives. This is what their parents were looking forward to for their whole lives, and their parents' parents, and their parents' parents. Like They were just like, the promised land, the promised land. One day, one day we're going to get into going into the promised land. And so Joshua says, hey, consecrate yourselves, which means Dedicate yourselves, which means set yourselves aside and get ready, because tomorrow the Lord's going to do some amazing things in you. And God did some amazing things in your lives this last weekend at D-Now. And it's because we we took a moment to say, God, we're dedicating this entire weekend to you. We're dedicating this sermon, this service, this, this worship environment, this small group. We want you to speak. And so he did, and I want us to look at what happens right after that. Because uh, they, they, they do, they dedicate themselves to the Lord, and then they're getting ready to go into the promised land, but there's one obstacle standing in their way. Literally like just 100 yards over there is freedom, it's their destiny, it's everything that the, their parents and their parents' parents have been talking about for years, and they're like, the promised land, it's so close, I can see it, I can, I can smell it, I just, I, now I know what the promised land Hey, how many of y'all smelled some, some interesting things at D-Now weekend? How many of y'all in your host home, like sixth grade guys, you, you guys gave off some, 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 some smells? And really, like, a lot of people, like, how many of you did a really good job? R- uh, round of applause. You cleaned up when you left your host home. You did some cleaning. Mm. Uh, raise your hands. Gentlemen, raise your hand if you did some good cleaning when you left your host home. Ladies, look around. That's husband material. That's husband material. I mean, they could be lying. They might be lying. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I totally cleaned. But ask the host home. Ask the host home what their house looked like when everybody left. So they're so close to the promised land, and you know, they've got to be so excited, and this is what they've been looking for. But there's one obstacle in the way. It's the Jordan River. And the Jordan River, it, it wasn't the, the, the widest or the longest river. It wasn't the most enormous, but it was really fast-moving in most parts. And, and actually, right here, when we get close to it, it says it's not just like a, a, a calm little creek. It was actually flood season. And so I want you to read what happens when they get up here by the Jordan River. They've got two or three million people that they've got to get across this river into the promised land. And they're like, how are we going to do this? Like, there's nowhere anywhere near us that we can cross reasonably. And, we, and God's, like, split the Red Sea, and he's, like, had food falling from the sky to get us up here into this point. I think a lot of people got to that moment. They're like, God, uh, did you not think this far? That's got to be so embarrassing. Like, oh God, I know you. we'll figure this out, but, God, what did you not think this through? And so uh, I want you to read, starting in chapter 3, verse 14 with me. This is what it says. The people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, and they were bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as the, uh, those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark dipped in the brink of the water, now keep in mind the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest, like I said, it was, it was in flood season. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, which is a city that is beside uh, Zarethan. I'm not going to say that right. And those flowing down from the Sea of Ereba, the, the Salt Sea, were, they were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. And the, verse 17 says this. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And so here's basically what happens. God tells Joshua, and Joshua tells the people of Israel, take the Ark of the Covenant, which is this really unique place where the where, where God dwelt in that moment. Here's, here's what you gotta understand. This doesn't make sense unless I explain this. The Ark of the Covenant was literally like God's throne on earth. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you maybe even if you just accepted Christ at D now, what the Bible says is that now the Holy Spirit, God's presence dwells in you as a believer. But back here in this portion of scripture where we're reading before Jesus had come, that's, that wasn't the case. So God dwelt specially in the Ark of the Covenant and they said, hey, take the presence of God, take the Ark of the Covenant and put it down here in the river and then as soon as it got there, the river stopped on both sides and it's dry ground and then they crossed two or three million people over it and, and, and they're, now they're here in the promised land. And we look at that miracle we're like, wow, that's so cool, that's amazing, but there's two things that I think God wanted to show his people through this miracle. If you like to take notes, you're gonna love it. We got two nice little notes and then we're gonna get over to the baptisms and we're gonna learn from this but then we're, we're gonna celebrate what God has done in some people's lives. The first thing that I believe God wanted to teach these people is his protection. Say protection. protection. Here's what is so special about this. Like I said, the Ark of the Covenant was like God's throne on earth. It's where God dwelt in a unique way and that's different than today because as I said, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and everywhere you go, God goes with you. Everything that you do, God is there with you. Everything that you think, God is there with you. And so I want us to think just like, this isn't even part of the sermon, but think about it this way. Like, next time you go to log on to the website and look at something nasty, like, just think, like, the Holy Spirit, God is here with me in this moment. Like, it changes the way that you behave everywhere you go. The next time you go to, like, cut somebody out or yell at somebody because you're mad at them, or, or they just cut you off and you're like, hey, you, just think, like, God is... With you in that very moment. And so, it's the reason that Paul says, hey, don't don't sin uh, with like sexual immorality. Don't you know that like your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so this is totally this is like we gotta like think in a different way in this moment. Um, but what is unique about what happens right here is at this very moment in history, the presence of God is centralized in the Ark of the Covenant. And you're like, why 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 are you explaining this? Because look back at verse 14 with me, it says that before anything happened, before the waters stopped, before anything like miraculous happened, the people sat up from their tents and the priests were bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. If you've got a, a paper Bible or a way to underline anything, underline or highlight before the people because here's why this is so special. Here's why this is unique. This is incredible. God was the first one in the water. God was the first one who stepped foot into the water. This is fast moving water. This is like, oh my gosh, I might get like if I if I fall in and I'm not ready, like I could be hundred yards downstream before I'm able somebody is somebody's able to fish me out. Like this was not just this was like white water rafting in Tennessee. Like this is some of you guys have been to camp at the peak with us and things like this. This is not like you know the Itchituckney River over here in Florida where you're just like gonna sit on a on a tube and put your feet up. This is this is real water. And so it's not like everybody was like, yeah, just jump in. It was like, there's rocks, and this is moving real, this is dangerous. And not only that, but we're getting ready to go over into the promised land, and we've been excited about that. But up until this point, like at the moment when this is happening, they're not just walking into like unclaimed territory where somebody has like put out nice like blankets and towels and some, some you know, little uh, breath mints for them. Like it's not an Airbnb over there in the promised land. There's giants in there. That's what some of the spies came back and told him. and said, there's giants in there and I think they could like crush us and eat us for breakfast. There's bad guys with swords and there's, there's people with castles and moats and all kinds of stuff. Like they were going into dangerous territory, but God says, it's okay, I'm gonna go first. Somebody say amen. Like before God asks you to do anything insane, God, he says, hey, I want you to realize I'm going with you and I'm going first. God's the first one in the water. And so what God wants them to know before they step foot into dangerous water, before they step foot onto dangerous territory, he says, I'm going first. I'm going to be the first one in the water. I'm going to be the last one out. You're not alone. I know that there's, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, Zach, Zach, I love D-NOW. I was so exciting. It was so, oh, I just, oh, I got saved. Or I, I, I had this moment with God and it was so powerful. And I'm like, you just keep on going. I don't understand what you're saying because you're so excited, but bless you, hallelujah. And so many people have said, Zach, I'm gonna start a Bible study at my school. It, oh, I, I thought that was the kind of thing that we got excited about. Can we get excited because people are starting <laughs> Bible studies at their schools? There you go. I can't tell how many people have told us, hey, I'm gonna start a Bible study at my school. That's fantastic. And It's not like two people, it's like 10 people. I want you to realize that when you step into that environment, before the flood of insecurities, what if people don't come? Before the flood of what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Before any of those fears or what if they argue with me or what if they tell me that I can't do it? Before any of that comes, I want you to realize that God was on that school campus before you ever stepped foot on it. Would somebody say Amen. I want you to realize that God was there in the water before you ever showed up. And we just this is what we believe about, about ministry and about, about uh, anything that we do here in Gainesville or, or, or we got a team going to, to London in a little while. We join the Lord where he is already at work. We don't, we don't say, hey, the, we're here. We're, we're, we're starting a Bible study at Newberry High School, Buchholz High School. Like the Holy Spirit is following me. God was at work a long time before any of us were born. And so we're, we're joining him where he's already at work, and I just want you guys to know this, and, and, and God wanted the people to understand this before they go into the promised land, that they have his protection. They have his, his protection. And this is, um, this is dangerous territory that they're walking into. And some of you guys are stepping into God's calling, and maybe like you're still on that excitement from, from D now and it hasn't sunk in yet, and maybe I just like shared a bunch of fears that you hadn't even thought of yet, and you were like, oh, now I'm not, now I'm not so sure. Like you, the, now that you mentioned like those insecurities, yeah, I'm kind of worried about what people think. What if they call me names? Um, I just want you to realize that you have God's protection before you ever step foot in there. You are not alone. You are under his protection. The second thing that I want us to realize is this, and I think the second thing that God was wanting the people of Israel to understand is this, that they have his presence. Say presence. And I think that kind of goes without saying. We're like, like Zach, you just said that we have the Holy Spirit. That's like, like way better than what they had. Yeah, in in a sense. But here's what is here's what's unique about this situation. I think a lot of times reading our Bibles, we could be like, okay, God split the the, the Jordan River. That's really cool. But He's kind of already done that, right? Like, didn't we just mention that he split the Red Sea and the sea is bigger than the river, so why is this such a big deal? Why is this so cool? Why, is it, why are we getting all excited? I mean, it's a smaller body of water for crying out loud. Like, I mean, he did it with the Red Sea. Is it just like, God, do you have any other tricks? He's already done a lot of awesome things. What is, what is unique about this? And I think we see that because it's like just a few chapters apart when we're reading it in the Bible and we might read it in just a few weeks or you might hear two sermons about it that are really close, but what, it, what we miss is this that none of the people who just watched God split the Jordan River got to see him split the Red Sea. None of the people, except for Joshua and Caleb, were there when they walked out of Egypt, when they didn't know how things were going to end, but when they walked through the dry ground over the Red Sea and then then God swallowed up the, the Egyptian army behind them. Like, none of them got to see about it. They heard about it from their parents, but they never experienced it. And they got a new guy in charge. Who's this Joshua? He's like he sounds like a like a junior Moses. Like he's like he's like a little baby Moses. What are we sure we can do this without Moses? Are we sure that we can do this like like I don't know if this is what God is saying to them is, hey, I'm going to be with you in the exact same way that I was with Moses. I'm going to be there with you in the exact same way that I was there with your parents, that I was there when the same God that brought you out of Egypt as slaves to make you a free people is now going to help you walk across the boundaries into the promised land. And you're not going to be a horde of wandering Israelites without a place. You're you're making an established nation at this point. And that's the same God that's here. And, 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 Anybody who stands in our way better watch out because this God is real and his power is real. I really believe that this is a new era in our ministry, that the, the people that walked into the doors at D-Now 2020 just a few days ago are not the same people that walked into this room on Wednesday night. I believe that even in our own team where we're kind of wondering, like, I don't know, like, God has done some really cool things in our ministry in the past. Is, is he still able to do that? Is he still able to, uh, maybe, maybe, like, movement youth has seen its best days. Maybe, like, we're not so sure that we, we got another awesome D-NOW. I mean, like, last time, like, a, a lot of people got saved at D-NOW. Uh, can God still do that? And I believe God affirmed to me, to our team, and I think to many of you that, that God is still working in this ministry, that some of movement youth's best days are still ahead of us. Could somebody say amen? That the best is yet to come, that he's not done using this ministry as a force against darkness in the city of Gainesville in Alachua County, that he still wants to save somebody. Am I the only person? Is this just me? Like, okay. All right. Just making sure that he's still bringing people from death to life that he's still convicting people of sin that he's still drawing us closer to him on a daily basis. And so I want us to kind of fast forward past this moment here where where God, you know, allows these 2 or 3 million Israelites to cross a raging river into into the, the promised land. I want us to, to notice what happens there. If, if you scroll down or, or flip over to chapter four, I want to read a few verses. And, and what Joshua does with the people of Israel after this big miracle is beautiful. And this is answering the question that I started with. What do you do after a miracle? What do you do after God has changed your life? He's changed your friend's life. He's changed your ministry. You've seen him bring people from uh, from. Uh, A path towards hell to a path towards heaven. What do you do? This is what happens after they cross into the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, and each man from a tribe. Then scoot down to verse 8, and the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to this place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And then Joshua actually makes a monument with these 12 stones. And we don't know what it looked like, but he made this monument to say, hey, let's not forget what God has done. Let's not forget what, what he has, how he miraculously saved us. And there's two reasons, we're so short on time, but there's two reasons that I believe God wanted Joshua to set up this monument where, where Joshua wanted the people of Israel to never forget this moment. One is so that they didn't forget. Because listen, I don't know about you, I got a short memory. The people of Israel had proven over and over again that they had a short memory. And so God is saying this, Joshua is saying this, hey, let's not, fall into the same pattern, like, wow, God, you're so good, Red Sea, and then, like, five minutes later, you're worshiping some false god. Like, wow, God, now is so amazing, like, I love you so much, I'm gonna read my Bible 12 times a day. Oh, wait, I'm gonna log on to the same websites, I'm gonna be addicted to the same kind of things, I'm gonna make the same kind of life choices that I made before that encounter with God. The very first reason that I believe Joshua and, and the Lord wanted the people of Israel to make a monument was so that they didn't forget. But the second reason is this, so that the rest of the world doesn't miss it. You know what's amazing? One of the first uh, cities or peoples that the, the Israelites take over when they get into the promised land is the city of Jericho. And you, maybe you've heard that story. They march around the city for, for a long, long time and then the walls come down and, and I won't tell that story right now. But what's amazing is before they even get there, the people in Jericho have already heard about them. The people in Jericho have already been like, oh, you guys are the ones that like made fools of the Egyptians a few years ago. We heard about that. Oh, you guys are the ones that you just crossed over. We thought that big river was gonna stop you. We, we thought for sure we were safe, but no. They're, they're, you guys are the ones that walked right across the river. The, the people in Jericho had already heard about the Israelites and their God. And so here's the application. If you just had an amazing weekend, you know, if you just encountered God in a special way, if you just uh, leaned into his word in a new way, then I, I want you to, to slow down and make a monument. And you can go get 12 stones, you can put them in your backyard if you want to, maybe that's your thing, but at the very least, like please, if you took some notes, I wish I had the notebooks that I took notes on in high school. I've got one notebook that I took, I filled with notes my college years that is just so precious to me. I look back at these sermons that, that God used to speak to me and I, and I just review them every once in a while. I'm like, that was so powerful. And every once in a while, I try to rip them off. I'm not even gonna lie, but that's neither here nor there. And, and so don't, don't just throw that away and be like, oh, it's, it's, it's not a pretty notebook. I'll, uh, I don't need that anymore. Um, hold on to that. If you've got a, a photo of you getting baptized, like, like don't lose that. Share it with other people. Brag on Jesus. Make much of his name. Put a monument right there in your life on social media or, or in your home when somebody walks in. There. I want people to, to be like, hey, what's that mean? Oh, that, that's when I got baptized. That's when God changed my life forever. Can I tell you about it? Don't let the rest of the world miss it. So let's do this. Let's go ahead, and we're gonna, we're gonna close in prayer, and then we're gonna go to our teams. And I just want us to, to talk with one another about some ways that we can, we can help each other avoid the, the, the forgetfulness that we seem to have. How can we make sure that we don't forget what God has taught us this last week at D-NOW? How can we make sure that we don't miss the moments uh, or misplace the moments that we had with God at the altar or in worship? What, how, how can we hang on to that? What are some reminders that we can build into our lives? What, is, what are some accountability structures that we can build into our lives? Let's go and talk about that. And then in a, a few minutes after that, we're gonna go and celebrate uh, believer's baptism out in the lobby. And I'll be back up to give you guys some instructions on that.